guess what? Got a little bonus episode for you this week. Bonus episode of the Mitch Kerr Audio Experience about to get underway. Our guest today is Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points. This conversation is 100% focused on NIL. If that interests you at all, stay tuned for a couple of minutes. If that does not interest you, we'll see you next time. Great guest next week as well. But for now, bonus episode, bonus episode, bonus episode of the Mitch Radio experience. Bonus episode means bonus credential time. If you missed it the first time that I did this in the airport on Monday, this is my new version of sharing collectibles. Collectibles are absolutely freaking huge right now. Digital collectibles, physical collectibles, NFTs, so on and so forth. Credentials, my version of this. If you also save these things, tweet them at me, share them with me. Let's have some fun conversations about these experiences back and forth. This one specifically, Big Ten Media Day credential, basketball version. This was in 2019, I believe it was, in Chicago. Uh, head coach Patrick Chambers, Lamar Stevens, Josh Reeves, Rose Carter, who was the SID, myself, and then a videographer all went to Chicago for no more than 24 hours. Uh, the day before, I'm interviewing head coach James Franklin about their upcoming opponent because, oh, by the way, this is happening during football season. Uh, crossing sports to basketball, jump on a private jet that day to Chicago, uh, stay the night in Chicago. Actually lost my backpack. My boss to this day has absolutely no idea that that uh, happened, but Rose Carter, Saint, found my backpack in the Uber. We got that back. Then uh, the following day was Big Ten Media Day. So what I did at that event was basically go walk around, interview Lamar, Josh, head coach Patrick Chambers, national media members. At one point in time, tried to get Fran McCaffrey and Patrick Chambers to talk to each other during an interview because they were playing uh, Penn State was playing Iowa in the Palestra that year, which was a freaking awesome game. Uh, that interview obviously did not happen, but tried. So uh, yeah, that's this version of credential collectibles on the Mitch Garibaldi experience. Let's talk a little bit about some NIL. This is the Mitch Gerber Audio Experience. Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, a national newsletter for all things college sports, our latest guest on the Mitch Gerber Audio Experience. Matt, first off, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. But you recently fired off a tweet saying that you're happy to talk to anybody about anything NIL-related. No sales pitch, no bullshit. So this is going to be a no BS episode on all things NIL-related. With that, let's start with this question. If somebody approached you on the street today and said, Matt, define what NIL is for me, what would you say to him? I'd say, my friend, there are there are two NILs, right? And 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 this is where the guy on the street immediately starts walking away because I can't turn off this teacher dork, you know, gene within my body. Like, all right, you've got one group of NIL, uh, which I, I would say is you know, market driven. This is the opportunity for an athlete to make money doing endorsement deals or sponsorships or teaching classes, playing guitar in a local bar, taking advantage of the number of uh, empl employment opportunities that may be available to, to any athlete or any student rather, right? And there, that market does exist. And we can think of, uh, I think I have a couple athletes who have made quite a bit of money doing that. Um, there are marketplaces to help connect people to those deals. Like I don't want to say that like that 
that world doesn't exist. It's not the majority of the market. The other side of the market, which has been called NIL, but you and me and God and everyone else knows that it's really pay for play. And that is laundering um, uh, deals from rich boosters to uh, either induce someone to attend a school or to convince them to stay at a school. Um, and you launder it through a phony marketing deal or a phony charity deal. Um, and it has nothing to do with marketability and nobody is hoping to actually get a return on that investment. They're different things. They respond to different pressures. They, they, you get the money in, in different ways. I think it's important to differentiate those two things. So with all that said then, can a NIL collective actually maintain a nonprofit status? Well, I've talked to a lot of CPAs. I've talked to a lot of lawyers, uh, some professors that are experts in, in this world. And the overwhelming majority of experts that I talk to say, no, like based on the letter of the law, and based on how these 501c3 collectives are advertising themselves, that's not a charity. To, to funnel money, to, to exist, to funnel money, to pay an athlete, you know, quintuple market rate for volunteering at a charity is many things, but it's not volunteering because you're paying them and it ain't a charity. Now, saying that, there's only two entities that could really actually investigate one of these uh, collectives. You know, one of them would be the state attorney general's office. Most of the... Um, and to, you know, the, the biggest responsibility for going through nonprofits at the state level is the state government. And if you are somebody that's in the Ohio AG's office, you might decide it's not good politics to investigate the Ohio State ch Sham Charity Collective. And so I think the people that built that collective are making that bet. They might be right. In some states, they might not be right. It might be a mid-level bureaucrat that doesn't care about the Buckeyes that decides to do it. The other one's the IRS. And the IRS is very underfunded, it's undermanned, it typically doesn't have the capacity to really go after um, wealthy, established, large entities. What they're really good at is going after a 20-year-old who forgot to, to take care of his taxes on the $3,000 he made selling energy drinks via NIL. Like that person should be very worried. Over a long enough timeline, eventually someone's going to get audited. And I think it would be very difficult for them to demonstrate when they have to you know, show their 990s and open up their books to whatever, whoever, but they're an authentic charity. That could happen in nine months, might not happen for nine years. So I understand the cynical bet from some of these uh, collective operators. How do you just... fix that? I mean, I go, how do you fix that? I, on one hand, you, you, this is maybe politically unpopular. I think you'd have to empower the IRS to actually investigate people that are, that are committing tax fraud. And that's not just big charities. That would be large corporations. That would be extremely rich individuals, people that can move their stuff to the Cayman Islands. And there's been a, a, a concentrated effort, uh, both federally and at the state level, to uh, defund a lot of those entities. So that's that's not a college sports question. Like that's above my pay grade. That's that's a public policy issue. Um, the other thing is, I think you want to look at changing either NCAA or, or college sports rules to make this less attractive. If schools could pay athletes directly. They wouldn't need to go through a sham third party to kind of launder that money. You can't do that right now. And so that's why we have some of these groups. So in relation to that, how should college athletics control players who are threatening to enter the portal because they're not going to make X amount of dollars through NIL deals? I, you know, so if I was a coach or an AD, I think the only truly honest thing you can do throughout the entire process as high schoolers and then as you're continuing to re-recruit your roster, what you have to do in the era of the transfer portal, regardless of NIL, you have to continue to build those relationships is give people as much honest, no BS information as possible. And so if someone's coming up to you and they are a, you're the fifth wide receiver in your offense and they're a high three-star, 
and they're saying that they're going to be able to get $100,000 by, by moving to a collective here. If Alabama is legitimately interested in him, he might be right. Then, then you have to kind of weigh that against it. You also need to be empowered enough or know enough about this market to be able to tell somebody when they're being fed something that's not true. Hmm. And you better hope as a coach that your player trusts you enough, and hopefully they've learned to trust you because you've recruited them in the first place, that you can help them. But right now, the particularly very productive players have more leverage in these kind of conversations than they've ever had before. I know that's deeply uncomfortable to a lot of coaches, but it's the truth. And if you want to build a program that says, like, we're not going to care about NIL, we're not going to really uh, make a concentrated investment in your earning potential, whether bagman or market driven, or just this is just talking about ball, it's all I want to do. That's fine. But a certain segment of your talent is going to say other things are important to me and they're going to leave to go find someplace where they can develop that way. Speaking of Bagman, you released an article on Tuesday morning talking about the differences between professional agents and collegiate agents. What's the biggest issue between the two right now? Man, if this if we were to point to one area in the collective NIL space that I think is attracting the most shady characters, and there's several, this, this is really one of them. And I, I talked about this in the article, but this is, I think is important for fans and coaches to understand. Um, if you're a professional agent, like an agent representing professional athletes, your commission for negotiating a salary is typically around four and five percent. And if you're an agent that represents a pro and you negotiate a marketing or a sponsorship deal, your your commission is much higher, generally 15 to 20 percent. That's much more relationship driven than a contract negotiation. Uh, and that's true for whether you're representing a high school or college you know, pro or anything. On the college side, though, um, you have these uh, the, the best way for an athlete to make a, a big bunch of money right this very second is to go in the transfer portal and be shopped to all these other collectives and see which rich guy is willing to go drop a bag. Uh, and if you are an agent that doesn't have a college degree, that doesn't have these certifications, that didn't go to law school, you don't give a shit about the person's earning potential as a professional because you won't be there to get any of the money or because the athlete's not really good enough to, you know, to, there's not a as long of a line trying to represent a bunch of guys that are going to play Italian second division basketball. But those dudes still might make a lot of money in the transfer portal. So you have an incentive where the agent is going to push that athlete to hit the portal every single time, even if that's not the best thing for the athlete the best thing for their education, the best thing for their long-term pro prospects or what they even want. That is a big problem, I think, for athletes. I think it's a problem for coaches. I think it's a problem for fans that don't necessarily want uh, attrition every single time, but that's what's in the best interest of the agent. And I don't know a great way to really slow that down because especially I think on the basketball side, you're going to be looking at high schoolers getting involved with these agencies. When they're 16, they're 17, they might be signing exclusive relationships. There's a huge power imbalance between a teenager, maybe in a family where nobody else went to college, they don't know a bunch of other lawyers, and they might have an incentive to get the money very quickly versus somebody who is much more powerful and in a position to really take advantage of them. We don't ask pro football players or pro basketball players or many other athletes globally to navigate the waters that we're asking college and high schoolers to do now. So do you ever anticipate there being a day where there is an NFLPA for college football? Yeah, I think I think that 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 really could happen. There's a possibility that a weaker version of that could happen, even if athletes don't formally unionize uh, that aren't they're not defined as employees. So that's a thing that could happen within the federal court system right now. But there are organizations that I think would like to like to like to do like to, to fill in that role and help with group licensing for video games and establishing some base level professional certifications for agents and, and give some of this information. And ironically, the idea of dealing with a college athlete union 
terrifies almost every athletic director I know. Big, big, big school, small school. Like that's the red line that they you know, would have been willing to go to the Supreme Court to stop. But weirdly, why, why is that? Why, why is that? Because the people that work in college education, broadly speaking, um, still very much believe in this idea that this is about education. It's not professional sports. And if the athletes are employees, well, then we can fire them. Then that completely changes the relationship. That changes our ability to sponsor broad-based athletic programs. And it, it more important, it reinforced them to re, revisit every assumption about college sports over the last 150 years. Could be a better world. Could be a worse world. It's a world full of unknowns. It's not what those people signed up to do. So they're against it. But I, I think there is an argument to be made that college football and basketball in particular would function more efficiently and maybe more equitably and be easier for the administrators if there was a union. Imagine trying to figure out COVID protocol uh, and establish based on health and safety standards without a union. We saw that before it was a gigantic mess. If there's one guy that all the conference commissioners have to go talk to to figure out some kind of standard, that makes their life a lot easier. Um, we'll see if that ever ends up actually happening. When it comes to the word sustainable, it's a phrase that's been thrown around for weeks, months now. This isn't sustainable, right? NIL, you've got all these collectives, you've got these donors, so on and so forth. What is sustainable in this space, in your opinion? Yeah, I, it's it's a tough word, right? Because I think there are some well-meaning folks that look at this and think, look, man, we just saw a couple of pretty good but not great college basketball players at Miami get 400 to 500,000. And I know a couple other basketball players that just hit the portal or about to who are not anywhere close to NBA guys who are going to make more than that, I think, over here. So you might say that that's, that's ridiculous. Like surely eventually the market balances out and those prices go down. And to that, I would say almost certainly not because the people that have been throwing a bunch of money into college sports, these boosters do not care if there's a positive ROI or not. They're, they're super rich. All they care about is dunking on the other people at the country club. If you are a pressurized uh, pine lumber salesman in Alabama that's now a billionaire, you're not going to stop giving lots of money to try and recruit football players to the SEC. Like there's no force to push that down. I think we, we, it's similar to what we see in European soccer, where you might think that there should be a, a pressure to bring prices and bring spending down a little bit once you realize you've wasted a bunch of money. But if the dude cutting the checks is an oil chic or like some aluminum, you know, uh, oligarch out of Russia who's got, you know, yacht money, they don't care. They're just going to keep setting the money on fire and then driving the prices up for everybody else. That's what I see here. So with that said, do you believe that there is no market correction? Uh, probably not. Like there, there might, there might be some market correction on some level with facility spending. And this is, you're already starting to hear this. I've had athletic directors tell me that, look, in that, you know, 2001, we wanted to, to attract recruits. We'd go build a waterfall in the locker room. And now it makes more sense for us to find either above the table or below the table to get that money directly to athletes. We don't need the waterfall anymore, which makes sense. The NFL locker rooms don't have waterfalls in them because you know what people like more than waterfalls money. Um, and, and that's what attracts people. It's the same thing in, in any other industry. I don't know if you're going to see downward pressure with coaching salaries or with analysts or some of the, some of these other places. You have a more equilibrium in markets where people have equal access to information and people act rationally. And brother, that's just not how college sports works. Last thing for you, if, if you were to be a student athlete or the student athletes that you talk to, what would your advice to those individuals be who continue to embark on this process and really go through the everyday grind of trying to figure this freaking thing out? 
Yeah. I, if for an athlete, I would say so much of your strategy has to depend on what you really want out of it. And I think you have to be very explicit about that from the beginning, because if your goal is I want to just grab the most short-term money I possibly can. And for your situation, that might be the right thing to do. That's one strategy. If you want different things, there may be another one. Like, you know, for all of the cynicism and all of the things that are maybe not working as well as we'd like them to be in the beginning. One thing that I keep coming back to that I, I'm still legitimately excited about NIL is that this is a way to broaden the college experience and the educational experience for athletes whose worlds can become very small very quickly. Like if you are a football player at Kentucky right now, you can't say, hey, Coach Stoops, um, I'm a college student at Kentucky, so I'm going to go study abroad in Italy next semester. I'll see you in five months. I'll send you a postcard. That guy's ass is off the team. Like you don't get to do that because if football is a 25 hour plus a week commitment. You can't do the same internships and your world, unless you're very proactive about it, is limited to that football building and limited to things in that particular space. Um, but with NIL, if you're, especially if you're a kid that maybe comes to Kentucky or comes to Ole Miss or comes to Stanford or whatever, from a background where you don't know people that work in professional services, you don't know people that work in entrepreneurship uh, or, or corporate sales or any of these other things because no one in your world's ever done that before. Through NIL, you have a chance now to build a professional network that you didn't have before. And that is something that I would really encourage all athletes to, to think about and encourage schools to think a little bit less about just the pure dollar amount here and think about who can we introduce in our alumni network? What kind of connections can we make with our chamber of commerce? So when people leave and they invariably don't go to the NFL or don't stay in the NFL very long, that they can say, I have people through NIL, through some of these collectives, through some of these organizations. I now know people that have started businesses that work in finance, that work in business developments, that do things that I had no idea existed in the white collar space. So I can have some more direction with the rest of my life. When we, when I think the traditionalists in college sports can say like, you know, these young men and women are getting an education, that should be enough. Like we're fooling ourselves in thinking they're getting the same education that you and I got, or that a bunch of non-athletes got. They didn't get to pick the same classes. They didn't get to do the same things. If we pull this off right, I look at NIL as something that could potentially help fill some of those gaps we've owed athletes for decades. That's a very good way to put that. And there is definitely a lot of good with NIL that can be done here moving forward. Obviously, we talked about a lot of the uh, the concerns and issues right now. But as you just mentioned, to end that, there is a lot of good in this space that can be done. Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points. How can people subscribe? You bet. You can find Extra Points at extrapointsmb.com. It is a newsletter that publishes Monday through Friday. Two of those are free. Three of those are behind a paywall. If you're interested in the nitty gritty of NIL, college athletic department finances, mid-major conference realignment, and all of the blood and guts that make this industry tick, you can find it all on extrapointsmb.com. And don't tweet at Matt Brown and say, is this behind a paywall? Why is this behind a paywall? Like, this dude's got to make money. Like, have some common sense. Yeah, I, 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 I tell everybody, like, unfortunately, most people are really understanding about it. If there was a way I could make it all free, I would. But, like, guys, I write about UConn way more than I write about Alabama, so I can't chase clicks. My ad revenue is, like, 12% of my total budget. So if you want me to write about you, because people are always tweeting me, like, Matt, what, what's going to happen with NEC expansion? Like, what's this Division II team doing? Like, I'd be happy to tell you, but those phone calls aren't free. And I can't get MasterCard to pay for it. So I need you to pay for it. Do it. Subscribe today. Matt, appreciate you taking the time. That's going to do it for this edition of the Mitch Gerber Audio Experience.